Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Kareem Begir. Kareem is co-founder and CEO at Instadeep. Kareem, welcome back to the Twomo AI podcast. Hi, Sam. It's a pleasure to speak again. Absolutely. So if uh, Kareem's name sounds familiar, that's because we spoke. Uh, we we're trying to figure this out. It was between a year and a half and a year ago. Uh, the show actually was published in September. Uh, it was number 302. Uh, and you should definitely check it out for Kareem's full background. Um, but Kareem, why don't you give us a, a brief overview of what you're up to, as well as uh, an update from when we last spoke? Absolutely. So uh, first, it's a pleasure to to be back and continue our conversation. On our side, it's been uh, pretty eventful. Uh, there, a lot has happened. Uh, as you know, Instadeep is uh, a decision-making AI startup, so we focus on uh, problems related to making complex decisions. Uh, we also do our own innovation in AI and uh, try to be helpful to the community. And uh, we've made progress basically on these three areas. We've been able to release uh, innovative products in decision-making AI. We've also been able to uh, publish and innovate in research, uh, publishing original, uh, you know, like pieces that were actually welcomed at NeurIPS, where we got a spotlight presentation, for example, with Google DeepMind. And we've also been a very active on the community side, organizing major events in uh, Africa and uh, helping basically lots of young talents uh, find and uh, seize the opportunities in AI. That's right. And the, we most recently saw one another at NeurIPS and had a chance to catch up briefly at the Black and AI dinner, where you really piqued my interest around one of the company's new initiatives or products, uh, which is called Deep PCB. Tell us about what Deep PCB is. Absolutely. So uh, DPCB actually started with uh, with a conversation uh, two years ago. I I had a, a, you know a dinner with a good friend of mine who is actually an expert in uh, hardware design, worked on uh, like you know chips for uh, well known phones etc. And uh, we were speaking about like you know what is AI doing in this particular sector? And he was like not that much. Like in particular, like uh, PCBs uh, stand for printed circuit boards. So basically, those are the chips that you will find with all sorts of consumer electronics products, iPhones, uh, speakers, Bluetooth, etc. And uh, you know the situation in that market was that you know uh, auto routers basically automated systems to connect the different components, like build basically the electrical circuitry, have been going on for many years, but they were not that mm -hmm. great. And we were like, hey, that sounds like an interesting problem to to look at. We started looking into it. Uh, eventually, uh, this uh, good friend uh, Nabil Shuba, who's now leading our hardware team, joined Instadeep. And uh, we've worked very hard on this project and we're very proud, uh, you know, to have been able to achieve our goals. And in November last year, we've released it in beta form and it is a world first. For the first time, we have an AI system that is end to end, fully deployable and scalable on the cloud, capable of understanding how to root chips, essentially. 
And now last time when we spoke, we our conversation was focused on the work your company was doing, applying deep reinforcement learning to logistics. Is deep PCB also based on deep reinforcement learning? Absolutely. And there is a very strong uh, commonality and uh, like f- design philosophy between our, our products. So in a sense, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, we've, we've continued to do great work in logistics. And uh, recently, uh, last September, we've won a major contract, for example, with uh, Deutsche Bahn, the German railway company. Uh, and to give you an idea, this is about routing trains on a large scale. Uh, we're talking about 10,000 trains a day, uh, you know, and something uh, on some 33,000 kilometers of railway. But it turns out there are commonalities between routing trains and routing uh, chips on a board. And so we've realized that, uh, you know, the projects and the type of research that InstaDeep is doing is actually applicable to multiple fields. And when it comes to, in particular, printed circuit boards, the opportunity was compelling. So we went uh, full speed ahead and uh, this turned out to be our first product. All righty. So when you initially met with your friend, your friend mentioned that there, you know, while this these auto routers have been in place or have been in use for many years, they were not without their challenges and problems. What were some of those challenges and problems and what was the opportunity to introduce AI? I think auto routers have been, uh, you know, there's been there's been a lot of great work done on auto routers. But in terms of uh, like design philosophy, the design philosophy is all about essentially using heuristics to solve problems. And we we spoke a little bit about this in our, our past uh, conversation. So it's very similar to let's say what was the status of software for chess before Alpha Zero came out. Those systems w- which work very well actually, but still are built on heuristics for for the hardest problems. Uh, you know, heuristics have limits. And a system that can essentially mobilize learning and learning at scale can get better results. Uh, when it comes in particular for pre- in the status of uh, printed circuit boards, it is actually incredible. And we are in 2020 that actually complex uh, circuits are still designed manually. And the reason why people design those manually is because auto routers essentially uh, fail to deliver the goods to the degree of quality which is expected by uh, high quality customers. So as a consequence, we see a really compelling opportunity with modern AI built on the latest innovation, and some of it actually developed in-house. We actually have patents on the work we've done for DPCB. There is an opportunity to like accelerate uh, the design cycle of products because it's not just about quality. Human engineers do absolutely amazing work and have amazing intuition. It's about the speed. Uh, A human engineer could take, in certain cases, multiple weeks, if not months, to completely route a complex board. With modern AI, we do believe at InstaDeep that this uh, timing can be brought to 24 hours. This, uh, if done at scale, would be tremendous for the industry and it would accelerate the product cycle. Uh, we are very used in consumer electronics to have a cycle every you know, six months, every year, there's a new version coming. We believe that AI could actually accelerate uh, that, that, uh, that cycle and as a consequence also make it easier to design new products and experiment and ultimately unleash uh, more human creativity uh, mobilizing AI. 
You mentioned complexity of the the boards as being one of the challenges. You know, what are we talking about when we talk about complexity? Are we? I'm assuming we're measuring that in, for example, number of components. But having worked with circuit boards before, there are also issues like the number of layers and things like that. What when you talk about a complex board, what exactly are you talking about? So, uh, so a board really consists in uh, basically uh, in uh, AOIs that we need to connect, and uh, as a consequence, like th- those, can, there can be a lot. Is it what of that pairs. needs to be connected? So you have pairs of components essentially okay. that need to be uh, connected, and there could be thousands of those. And as you mentioned rightly, there could be multiple layers. Uh, simple designs uh, start with two or four layers, but you could have a lot more. And uh, you know, the more you have layers, the more more components you have to connect, the harder the problem. It is an NP-hard problem. And so uh, this is where AI can help, particularly when you're looking at, you know, the most difficult designs that would take human engineers significant amount of time to solve. And so how do you frame this problem as one that reinforcement learning can be applied to solving? So th- this is another case of a needle in a haystack style problem. So you have an extremely large solution space. To give you an idea, you know, the game of Go was 10 to the power 170, roughly. Uh, we are talking here at, you know, significantly more. Uh, like this, this can be very, very large. And so well, the question is, how can I build a system that's going to figure out what is a good solution to this problem? And of course, you have uh, lots of rules that you need to abide by. Uh, we call those DRC, so like, you know, basically design rules checks that need to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, absolutely verified for the circuit board to be valid and to be deployable in production. So the question is, you have this massive optimization under constraints where essentially you need to find a good solution. And we know from recent progress and from also our own experimentation that AI systems can be built using deep reinforcement learning to build up intuition. So it's a little bit like humans would do it, except that you have the benefits of doing it very consistently and importantly at a very large scale. We're talking about potentially like, you know, uh, hundreds of CPUs, if not thousands working together with GPUs to accumulate experience and sort of built up the right knowledge base to crack the problem. And so when you talk about this knowledge base, can you go into a little bit more detail into how the, you know, how you're building the, you know, the agent and the learner and and how you're kind of representing this knowledge that's being accumulated? Yeah, so the, the spirit is very similar to, uh, for example, what has been done by DeepMind uh, for the game of Chess and Go. You're going to have a learner that's essentially going to play games. And uh, based on the outcome of those games, is going to start to, uh, you know, learn what works and what doesn't. So you can see this problem as basically having a reward function, which is completing uh, the design. If you've completed the design and it is uh, DRC clean, so it satisfies to all the design rules, then uh, that's a good outcome. And so you are effectively starting, let's say, from a random point, but learning as you go and sort of putting more probability on the paths that are yielding a good solution. Uh, And of course, the devil is in the detail on those systems. But if you do this uh, diligently enough, you're going to get a system that's going to start to figure out what it should do first on small boards and then on bigger ones and ultimately get you to uh, competitive results. 
Now, I would imagine when a human engineer is working on these kinds of problems, there are certainly completion of the board is, you know, a, a primary goal, but I'm imagining they're also worried about like the, you know, total length of their traces, which probably corresponds to noise uh, on the board or uh, latency between components, that kind of thing. In other words, a lot more kind of nuanced characteristics than just whether, you know, all of the components are connected. Are you able to take these kinds of things into account? Absolutely. So those actually participate into the design of the reward function. So this is the way to look at it. You know, mm -hmm. of course, exactly like you said, it is desirable to have uh, like a circuit length as small as possible. It is desirable also to have as little as possible changes from one layer to another through what we call vias. So uh, those can actually be expressed in the design of the reward function such that you sort of have everything you need and that the system has everything it needs to learn. But absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, one of the areas where we spent a lot of time was how can we incorporate those into like a functional mechanism that uh, triggers learning. And uh, we're very happy to say that actually this is positive, like this is positive, possible. And uh, when we look at, you know, the first announcement we made in um, in November last year when we announced the beta release actually many engineers came to us and they just couldn't believe that an AI system would go end-to-end -end and to and, and crack this problem yet uh, this is another proof of you know how powerful AI can be in 2020 and in particular deep reinforcement learning applied to decision-making problem is truly disruptive so at InstaDeep we are uh, you know focusing on those type of problems and we believe uh, there is tremendous value to be unlocked for our customers and in terms of improving efficiency, accelerating design cycles and, and the like. You described the, the process as one of starting with simple boards and working your way up to more complex boards. Can you elaborate that, on that? Is that if you've got a particular problem um, with a particular set of circuits that need to be connected to one another, is the learner that you're trying to to create to, to route this particular board, is it starting with a subset of components and then gradually increasing the complexity of what it's doing? Or is it, are you talking, are you referring to kind of building up a knowledge base across multiple, maybe even theoretical, you know, board layouts that you have created just to train the learner and then you can take this pre-trained learner and apply it to new boards? It's, it's not necessarily the, the final algorithm that we designed, but it's most, more like the approach we took. Like uh, to crack mm -hmm. a problem like this that uh, actually uh, many people have tried and failed is, uh, in, and this is a good generic principle in deep reinforcement learning, start with a, a small problem that is almost uh, too stupid, right? But make sure, <laughs> make sure that it is working. Make sure that what you expect mm -hmm. to see 
is indeed what you see. Uh, devil is in the detail uh, in those systems and uh, deep RL systems in particular are notoriously uh, tricky to train because, uh, you know, a problem could come from multiple sources. It could come from this uh, like straight out bug into your system or it could be that you have the wrong uh, initialization parameters from an applied math point of view. And so you're doing everything right, the code is right, but the system still won't learn because uh, the parameters have been badly initialized. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm describing more of philosophy. We really start yeah. with baby cases and built up our, you know, skills, expertise, and train progressively better agents, realize what works, what doesn't. So there is a lot of, uh, like, in-depth uh, analysis and details that you need to do to be able to have systems that actually are ready uh, for the real world. And, and I think that's, that's an interesting problem. Like, uh, you know, this when we look at the work that the InstaDeep teams do, uh, I think what uh, is we're really excited about is how can we take uh, those algorithms that have been tested mostly on games and on very well-defined environments, if you want, and sort of translate them into the real world, uh, you know, whether it's routing boards or trains or anything else. Uh, and, you know, there are lots of challenges that come with that, but also at the same time, if you manage to overcome those challenges, it is truly an exciting time and you can see uh, actually customers come back and give you great feedback. Customers say, please keep me in the loop for your next release. And we've been constantly improving our product, announcing recently releases, for example, supporting Altium, which is a key standard and so on and so forth. So uh, I think there is a true excitement in doing things in the real world, even though, of course, it's much harder. So can you maybe compare and contrast the RL applied to games in this particular scenario? You know, I'm just thinking through some of the the differences in the, you know, game scenario. You, you've often got, you know, other agents or uh, things uh, in the game, in the environment kind of respond, you know, randomly or probabilistically to the things you do, or at least via some, you know, some complex function in this world, you've got your set of components and, and, you know, unless you're doing kind of deep physics based, you know, simulations of the interactions between the components, you, you, maybe you're not getting into kind of random responses to, to things like follow down that thread for me. So one of the key differences is when it comes to gaming, the reward system is very clear. You know, there is a score to maximize. There is an opponent to defeat. So there is full visibility in, in a sense on what the reward is, which is, mm -hmm. which is quite important. So you're already saving a lot of time. Uh, you know what's the objective. Uh, when it comes to the real world, if I tell you, for example, like, okay, I have this, uh, you know, and this is what we were talking about. I have this complex board with, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, eight layers and uh, a thousand pairs to connect. Uh, well, what is the reward function is actually a very good question. You could probably mm -hmm. work for years on what is the best reward function you could come up with. So that is one first real challenge. Uh, the second challenge is when you design the environment, making sure you incorporate all the elements that are important in uh, actually design, like coding and modeling the environment. Uh, if I take the example uh, in logistics that we did and the work we do with uh, railway companies, that is actually not a trivial thing to do. Uh, in games, uh, the environment by construction is already uh, given to you and is very clear, not just the reward, but the environment itself. If you're talking about, for example, a complex train network with, uh, 
dozens of thousands of trains uh, operating every day. Uh, you know, there could be problems on one railway. What's the consequence of that problem? Just modeling the environment is a challenge in itself. Once in a good scenario, you've modeled the environment. The next challenge is speed in games. Uh, by construction, uh, most games are quite fast because they are, for example, designed for um, massively uh, online multiplayer games, for example, or things of that nature. So the latencies are in the order of milliseconds sometimes. Uh, building a real-world environment that represents uh, properly the problem that you're looking at, and at the same time ensuring that it's quick enough so that you deploy deeper is uh, actually a non-trivial thing. So as you can see, every step of you know this challenge, which is kind of already pre-built in for games, becomes very tricky in the real world, but also very interesting. And this is also why it's not a surprise that uh, all uh, DeepRL breakthroughs uh, tend to happen on games, because that is sort of the ideal framework uh, to get results. And so going back to my earlier question is... What you've done here that you've trained a, a model using reinforcement learning that you can then apply to kind of an arbitrary new board that you're presented with? Or is there an element of training that has to happen when you see a new board or um, fine tuning or, or something like that? It's, it's a bit of both. So uh, the right analogy is uh, what would a qualified human expert do? Uh, mm -hmm. He comes with a set of uh, knowledge, a knowledge base, an intuition about how to tackle those problems. But of course, he's going to spend time sort of fine-tuning his approach to the problem at hand. So our design philosophy is pretty much the same. There is pre-built-in experience and knowledge that comes when we uh, tackle a new board. But there is also an amount of fine-tuning. Uh, basically, essentially, this system will learn and experiment on every new board and, and get something out of it. And when you think about it and you compound those effects, this is how you build a learning system that can progressively tackle harder and harder problems and uh, together with compute, with more customer served, uh, sort of uh, potentially redefined, uh, redefine uh, the standards in the industry. This is our goal with DPCB. Today, DPCB is in beta format. So it's sort of, uh, you know, still learning every day and uh, learning quickly, but still learning a lot. We would like to bring it to a point where the tool is so useful that it is widely adopted by in the industry industry and helps the industry achieve its goals faster and more efficiently. If we manage to crack boards at scale in less than 24 hours, this would change the life of many, many companies operating in consumer electronics and uh, for the better, because they could be, they would be able to experiment with different designs faster, maybe bring products to market that would have been impossible otherwise, uh, because uh, the cost of having, uh, you know, uh, a design team work for it for two, three months is just unaffordable. Sure. Yeah. Can you, uh, how, how do you characterize kind of where you are relative to that goal? How complex are you able to get now and how long does it take to do a board? I think it's pretty remarkable what we have achieved already, especially that we are a small startup and, you know, don't, do not have access to uh, like large compute. 
the key thing for us now, if we want to take DPCB to its full potential, is really unleash tremendous amount of compute and train on much larger boards. So our goal for this year is really move from uh, like a free beta where we're effectively trying to help uh, you know customers uh, the world, all over the world and getting feedback in the process, getting them to a point where we can uh, compete with uh, professional product offerings, and ultimately you know if we do everything well. Uh, redesign the state of the art in the industry. So I would say we're well on our way, probably more than 50% done, but still a lot of work. Does that mean you're not going to answer my question? <laughs> no, I, I did answer. We, we're, we're, we're in beta. I wouldn't tell you that. Our yeah, no, no, I'm just trying, to, world, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get a sense for, you know, how, how far along this is relative to both how you how you measure it and you've talked about kind of the number of components and layers and all that kind of stuff, but also how you, how far along you are relative to that for solving real world problems. Is this, you know, something that is, you know, currently useful to someone that wants to route a PCB or, or not? And how do you know, or how would they know if their problem is practical for, for what you've done so far? Yeah, so the great news is we are actually already solving real PCB boards for real customers, and we're very proud of that. Those boards are still small. We're currently limiting in beta to 150 pairs and uh, two layers, and we're going to progressively expand that. So uh, this, this is where we are at the moment. But the good news is that actually uh, we've already received very good feedback from customers from literally everywhere, the US, Asia, and that the system works. So we're pretty excited about it. You made a, a comment that one of the limitations is access to uh, compute, uh, or at least you gave the impression that this is kind of constantly, you know, running and constantly improving, you know, talk a little bit about the, the relationship with compute and the compute requirement and how you're addressing that. Absolutely. So if you look at how uh, DeepRL systems work, uh, there is always this concept of accumulating experience uh, through like multiple and uh, multiple simulations, gathering this experience to improve your model through gradient descent and iterating again. And if you look at, you know, the kind of amount, uh, the kinds of amount of compute that you need to, uh, to really have, for example, a breakthrough in DeepRL, it's quite significant. If you look at StarCraft, for example, uh, like DeepMind actually did spend millions of dollars to crack that problem. Mm -hmm. uh, today, InstaDeep cannot spend millions of dollars to define the <laughs> to state crack of the art. Boards. So uh, yeah. what we're doing, actually, we're raising funds. And one of the reasons uh, we're raising a Series B, essentially, one of the reasons actually to um, have enough uh, compute capabilities to push our systems uh, to, you know, redefine the state of the art. So there is a real opportunity out there, but it like compute is a necessary equation when it comes to DeepRL. Of course, you can focus on sample efficiency and the like, but you will not be able to crack those problems with, let's say, a limited amount of GPUs and CPUs available. You will need to have uh, essentially a cloud partner to be able to progress this to the next level. And we've actually done more than that. We actually designed DPCB to be fully on the cloud from day one. So every time a customer actually uploads a board, it is solved in real time on the cloud. And so uh, scalability 
And uh, scalability of learning is essential if you want to have systems that uh, build up new state-of-the-art like results. And, uh, you know, we're pretty excited about that. And we think this is actually achievable in the near term for InstaDeep, meaning uh, something like a year or less. We talked a little bit about the this kind of notion of, you know, transfer learning to use that term very broadly, that you're training a, a, a model, an agent, and you can, when you're faced with a new board, you can leverage the experience that you've, you know, you slash this agent has experienced, uh, this model's experience with previous boards. We've also talked about, you know, in the real world, like different uh, designs have different requirements. Maybe, you know, one board has specific requirements around noise or, you know, the number of layers relative to others, you know, maybe, I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is if, you know, as you evolve your reward function, when you're faced with new scenarios, does that interfere with transferability or, you know, can you transfer from one reward function to another? It really depends of uh, like how far the reward functions are for respective to each other. But in general, transfer learning is pretty robust. So, uh, you know, there is a remarkable ability to transfer knowledge from one problem to another. And this is something we see across the world, uh, across the board in, in AI. And it's the same in uh, printed circuit boards. So if your reward function is not very dissimilar, you will be able to transfer knowledge. If your board is uh, relatively similar, to previously seen and solved boards, transfer learning will apply as well. And this is actually a key point, Sam, because this is what makes those systems so interesting. The fact that they learn, but then when faced with a very complex problem, uh, you know, they won't have to necessarily burn all that compute to redo everything again. Mm -hmm. If you look at how optimization works in many cases today, uh, there is no uh, learning, no memory of what happened. And so, you know, if you have, for example, people, uh, you know, doing optimization on boards or on root problem, or no matter which uh, routing problems these are, well, essentially you're burning compute overnight to solve something. And maybe you're going to come the, ne the next night and do the same thing all over again. So the transfer learning part is actually critical. And this is what allows you to keep progressing, uh, you know, as you deploy compute, sort of this compute is actually uh, more wisely used uh, if, if you get to results that can improve what you're going to do tomorrow. You mentioned that you had a spotlight presentation at NeurIPS. Was that related to this work or is that uh, something separate? So, uh, yeah, we, we were very surprised this year, uh, actually, to, uh, to have uh, a spotlight paper at NeurIPS. And this was work uh, done with uh, DeepMind, with uh, Nando Freda, de Freitas and his team. And uh, interestingly, we looked at, uh, it's a deep, you know, deeper questions, but around compositionality. How can I, uh, in a bit in the same spirit, but how can I look at certain problems and uh, while I solve simple tasks, use those as sort of like, uh, you know, a basic tasks to compose more complex tasks and so on. So at InstaDeep, we're very proud, uh, despite our humble origins, to be able to partner with the world's best in AI when it comes to research and innovation. And uh, one of the things which is unusual about the company is our ability to, on one side, innovate in pure research and in particular DeepRL, but then productize and experiment with this innovation in the real world. 
And I think that's kind of something pretty exciting because uh, you get to exposed to uh, things that are both intellectually challenging, but also you have a chance to crack real world problems. And so this, you know, it was a big surprise for us in our first collaboration with DeepMind, which for us in itself was a milestone. Uh, to get that distinction, which uh, roughly is equivalent to being ranked in the top 2% of uh, all worldwide papers submitted at NeurIPS. So that was one of the milestones of our, of our year. So can you um, share a little bit more detail about the, the paper and the results? Yeah, so uh, the paper is called Alpha NPI. You can find it on our website, instadeep.com. And what we did is we looked at, in this particular case, uh, toy problems. Uh, if you remember, we were speaking about starting with uh, relatively simple things and building up from there. We looked at, for example, the Hanoi Towers problem. So Hanoi Towers is classically, you have those disks, you need to move them from one pole to another, and you need to respect a certain order in which you do this. Uh, you know, this is very difficult to solve uh, the Hanoi Towers problem, let's say a classic uh, DPRL algo like with DQN or PPO. So Alpha NPI was able to uh, crack that problem using recursion and uh, also using planning. Uh, so if you look at, for example, the insights from uh, AlphaGo and AlphaZero, uh, planning is key. So the ability to uh, look ahead and sort of build a tree of possibilities and then decide I'm going to act according to, you know, this path because I really thought about it. Or another way to, to say it is like system one and, and system two in Daniel Kahneman's uh, classification. Well, we've actually applied this, but rather than have uh, just a simple uh planning algo like a tree and that is uh, like a Monte Carlo tree search that is guiding the neural net we've done multiple layers of trees so as we have compositionality across multiple uh, levels uh, we actually are calling uh, trees and doing planning and search uh, across multiple levels which had never been done before so if you're interested feel free to have a look at the website the paper is there and also the code is available we try to be uh, very open even though we're a small startup so everything is out there available on github and accessible through our website well kareem thanks so much for taking some time to catch up uh it's been great chatting with you as always and super excited about what you're up to thanks a lot sam and talk to you soon all right thank you all right everyone that's our show for today to learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.